here. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word today. I thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit giving me utterance, Lord, to be able to communicate this and, and, and present this in a way, Lord, where, where we can grasp it, where we can receive it. Father, I pray that it would minister to and nourish every heart, every individual. Lord, we know that, I know that Paul wrote to Timothy and, and said to be nourished in the words of faith. Lord, I thank you that words of faith will nourish us. And I pray for spiritual nourishment to come to every person here in this service today or those that are joining us online. I pray that each one of us would be nourished today by your word and by your spirit in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. And everyone that agreed said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy... Because of your truth. Verse 2. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? You know, the unsaved are continually saying, well, where's God? If there's a God, why does he allow evil? Where's the evidence for God in the world? I don't see any evidence for a creator. I don't see... You know, that's really pretty dense if you can't see any evidence in the earth for a creator. That's just... Well, I shouldn't call people dense. I should just say spiritually deceived. They're just blinded by the devil, right? But you hear people saying that, where's God? There's no evidence for God. But it's, it's one thing for the world, for non-believers to ask that question, where's God? But there's times when believers are tempted to ask the same question. Where's God? In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 10, we find the psalmist asking, basically asking in so many words, asking that question. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Basically, the psalmist is saying, where are you, Lord? Where is he? So we're going to answer the question today. Where is God? Where is God? See, we have all had, we've all had experiences. I'm sure you have. I know I have. We've all had experiences where, we, where the question comes into our mind, God, where are you? I need you. I need you now. Where are you? Where were you when I needed you? Where are you? I need you now. See, what we're, when we say that, what we're expressing is this. I can't feel your presence. I do not see with my physical eye any evidence that you're working and that you're with me here in my time of need. We've all been there where we've said, you know, I don't feel God. I don't see God working. So where is he? Where is God in those times? Well, the Bible tells us that our feelings can deceive us. Our feelings and our senses can betray us. That's why we have a whole generation of people that are so confused and they can't even tell you if they're a boy or a girl. Why? Because feelings have been given the preeminence. Well, I don't I know I know I may have body parts that say I'm a boy, but I feel like I'm a girl. Well, We've exalted, and, it's, and it is, you know, it, it would be, as Brother Hagin used to say, it would be funny if it wasn't so pathetic. But what, what's, what our society, what our culture has done, and even the church world, we've exalted feeling above fact. That's what academia has done. That's what the whole, the whole woke culture has done, is exalted feeling above a physical fact. And they say, well, 
Maybe a man can get pregnant and have a baby. That's just, that's, a, that's un, totally untethered from all reality. But yet people are, people are, 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 are embracing it because they've in, they have exalted feeling above fact. And we get in trouble as Christians when we exalt feeling above the Word of God. Amen? So the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen? Now our feelings say, well, well, pastor, my feelings are real. Absolutely they are. But we're not to be governed by them. We're not to be led by them. If, you, if you're led by your feelings and governed by your feelings, you're going you're to get in trouble in a, in a hurry. You're going to get in despair and depression in a hurry if you're led by your feelings. So, uh, so we walk by faith, not by sight, not by our feelings. Our feelings may say, God, where are you? Our, we may not feel His presence, but the Bible tells us where God is. Relative to us as individuals and as his children and as his people. And we're going to look at all those places where we can find God, where he is. And the first one's not really a place, but it's the one I'm going to start with today. Number one, God is for you. He's for you. God is for you. A lot of times people think God's against them. They perceive him as, you know... Because he does have laws and standards and they perceive him primarily as a fault finder. He's just waiting to find... You know, the Bible says in, in, in the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 120 or 121, if God numbered iniquity, who could stand? If he really wanted to find fault, well, well he, he, wouldn't have to look, he doesn't have to, wouldn't have to work very hard, would he? I mean, but, but that's not his motive. That's not his purpose. That's not what he's trying to do. He's not trying to find fault. He's not against you. He's for you. Amen. Amen. He's for you. Praise God. The truth is God is for us. Psalm 118. Verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. Where's God? He's on my side. That's where he is. He's on my side. I will not fear. Well, of course not, if God's on your side. The Lord is on my side, is He? Is that a biblical truth? Was that just peculiar or particular, just for that particular person writing that psalm? Or is it for every person that will put their faith in Him? It's for all of us, isn't it? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is what? Verse 7, the Lord is for me. Among those who help me, therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. Praise God. Who hates you? Well, the devil does. The devil hates you. But because God's for you, because God's for me, then I'm going to see my desire on the devil. He's not going to triumph. His schemes aren't going to prevail. The will of God, the plan of God, the goodness of God is going to prevail. In my life. Why? Because God's on my side. Did you ever, when you were a kid and y'all were on the playground, did you ever choose up sides to play a game? Either whether, whether it was Red Rover or, or, or football. You know, whatever, whatever it was, you know, you'd choose up sides, right? Well, guess what? The Lord said, I'm on their side. I'm on your side. Hallelujah. Didn't you always want to try to get the best player? The fastest player, the strongest player on your side. Well, guess what? God's on your side. 
The Lord is on my side. He's on my team. Hallelujah. He's for me. He's for me. God is for us. Amen. I've told this several times in the past, but when Wesley, my youngest son, who's 21 now, it's hard to believe, when he was five, six, seven years old, right in there, and uh, I mean, we'd be watching a ball game. I'd have a, I'd have a ball game turned on, and he'd be sitting there watching it with me, and he'd look at me, and he'd say, who are we for? <laughs> who are we for? He would want to know. Uh, he was going to be for the same team that I was for. He would want to know who to cheer for. What was he saying? He was, he was saying, who do we want to win? Well, guess what? The Lord is for you. He's cheering for you. He wants you to win. He wants you to be victorious. Hallelujah. He's for us. Glory to God. Romans 8, 31 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, is he? Well, he is. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Hallelujah. So God's for me. Hallelujah. He's not a fault finder. He's not the accuser. That would be Satan. In fact, the, in fact, the name Satan actually means accuser. That's Satan. God, through Jesus, is the redeemer. He's the savior. He's the justifier. That's who God is, and he's for us. Amen? So where's God? He's on my side. When I look around, when I look around for God... I know right where he's at. He's on my side. He's for me. He's for me. Praise God. And then the second place God is, is God is with you. God is with you. Hallelujah. You'll never, ever be alone in this world. God is with you. God is with you. Hallelujah. On your worst day and on your best day. God is with you. God is with you. Hallelujah. Look at what he says in, in Hebrews 13, 5. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you. Now, the, the, the writer of Hebrews there is quoting uh, Deuteronomy 31, 6, where God is speaking to the children of Israel as they're about to go in to the promised land. This is the second time around after the 40 years, you know, and, and they're going to be led in by Joshua. And, and he's saying to, to them, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But it wasn't just for them. The writer of Hebrews here in the New Testament lets us know it's for all of us. It's for all of us. God says, I will. He himself has said, I will never leave you nor Forsake you. So we may boldly say, because God said that, we can boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So God is with me in order to help me. Knowing that God is with me means He's with me, not just to, okay, I'm standing around while you get, you know, while you get used like a punching bag by the devil. No, He's with me to help me. He's with me to help me in every situation. Therefore, he's the, song, the writer says here, I will not fear because the Lord is with me. Uh, he's, my, he's my helper. And therefore, I'll not fear what can man 
What can the world do to me? I'll not fear what the World Economic Forum decides to do. I'll not fear what the who. I'm not talking about Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey. I'm not talking about the band. I'm talking about the World Health Organization. I will not fear what the, what the who decides to do. I'll not fear what the World Economic Forum decides to do. Why? Because the Lord is with me. And the Lord is my helper. I'll not fear. What can man do to me? New Living, he says, I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. And here in the Amplified, this is the Amplified here. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you. Man, we ought to be coming out of our seats here this morning. I will not in any way fail you. Nor give you up, nor leave you without support. And then he says, I will not, I will not, I will not. Now, God didn't stutter. And that's not a misprint. And that's not a typo. It's written that way in the Amplified Bible. God says, I will not, I will not, I will not. He says it three times because in the Greek, in the, the, the grammar that's used there is a triple negative. I will not, I will not, I will not. Hallelujah. In the, in the King James and regular translations, they just said, well, we can't say it any better than I will not. But the Amplified says, no, we're going we're to express it exactly as it is, the meaning in the Greek. And it says that I will not, I will not, I will not. Amen. Hallelujah. What? I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down. I will not relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Hallelujah. And again, he's with you on your best day, but he's also with you on your worst day. He was with, the Bible says he was with Joseph in prison. Well, Lord, if you're with me, why did I ever end up in prison? Well, he was with Joseph in prison. He was with Jonah. In the great fish, he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. Amen? And guess what? They all came out all right, didn't they? They all came out victorious. They all came out on top. Why? Because God was with them. And God is with you. Where's God? He's with you. He's with you. Hallelujah. Psalm 91, 15. When they, this is in the New Living. When they call on me, I will answer. I'll be with them in trouble. We have that one, Wendy. Psalm 91. 91, 15. There we go. Yeah. When they call on me, I will answer. I'll be with them in trouble. Well, I got to tell them, Wendy's back there crocheting. So she's a little bit. She's got a grandbaby coming. I told her. And I told, she was showing me. She was showing me her work. That she's got, a, she's got a blanket for the grandbaby that's, that's, that's coming. And, I, and, and so she's got her stuff back there. I said, well, Wendy, if you're slow on the draw, then I'll just know that you're crochet. She said, you know, she said, I just, if I've got 15 minutes, I'll just, you know, I'll take it with me. So, so I'll, Robert, okay. <laughs> I'm messing with her. She's doing a great job. Uh, when they call on me, I will answer. 
I'll be with them in trouble. I'll do what? I'll be with them when? In trouble. I'll rescue and honor them. I'll reward them with a long life and give them myself. So God is not just with us, like I said, to observe and watch us be a punching bag. He's with us in trouble to deliver us, to rescue us and to honor us and to give us long life and to show us his salvation. Hallelujah. I love this from the testimony by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. Look at this. He says, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So Paul was on trial. He was on trial for preaching the gospel. He was on trial many, more than one time in his life. And he said at my, he's recounting that experience to Timothy. And he says, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. So he didn't have anybody, no human being, no, no, no person, no human being stood with him, even though he was probably thinking there was a few that should have. He said, nobody, nobody stood with me. All forsook me. But then was he bitter about it? Was he upset? Was he disappointed? Was he angry? Well, look at his response. May it not be charged against them. Why? Because he had learned to put his expectations not on people, but on the Lord. Amen. Amen. All forsook me. Was he alone? Oh, no, he wasn't alone. Look at verse 17. But the Lord stood with me. No human being stood with me in that time and at that moment, but the Lord did. But the Lord did. Now, I know, yes, God works through people. And there's another place where Paul writes and he said, For uh, God comforted me through the coming of Titus. When Titus came, when another person came, it brought God's comfort to Paul. So, yes, God works through people. But, beloved, even when you don't have anyone to stand with you, even when it seems like you're alone, there's nobody there, nobody that understands what you're going through, the Lord is with you. He said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So when the Lord's with you, he strengthens you. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now he's talking, Daniel was literal. Paul's talking figuratively here. He had opposition. He had people coming against him. He mentioned some of it in the previous verses there. So he's not talking a literal line here, but he was delivered out of that situation. Why? Because the Lord was with him Amen. and God is with you. Where's God? He's with you. Amen. Paul could have looked around. His, he could have let his feelings dominate him when he looked and he saw all of it. He didn't have anybody standing with him. All of his friends had abandoned him and forsaken him. But he said, you know, the Lord was with me. He didn't let his feelings. He didn't let the circumstances. He didn't let what he saw in the natural dictate. He let what he knew, the truth of the word, prevail in his mind and in his heart. And he said, you know, the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. Amen. Hallelujah. And, verse 18, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
So the Lord will stand with you and strengthen you too. Where's God? He's with me. He's with me. Hallelujah. And then number three, God is in you. See, God's not just for us. He's not just with us, but he's actually in us. Hallelujah. Now, let me just point something out here before we get into this one. You might think, well, hey, if we got this one, we don't even need those others. Yeah, we need every, we need every aspect. We need every aspect of our relationship and our connection with God. We need, we need God for us. That's a New Testament concept. Amen. Amen. Just the fact that God is in us, in us doesn't do away with the fact that we need God for us and with us. We need all of it. So, amen. Romans 8 is in the New Testament. If God is for us, who can be against us? The Apostle Paul wrote that. That's for New Testament believers. So, so, so we need each of these. Don't abandon God for you and God with you because you think the end is so much greater. It may be. God in us may be so much greater, but we need all of it. I need God for me. I need God with me. And I need God in me. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, but it's wonderful to know, if we really do know, that God is in us. Amen. Amen. I believe it was E.W. Kenyon that coined the phrase, God inside minded. We need to be God inside minded. What does that mean? It means that, that, that my consciousness, it means that the way I think, the way I perceive my, myself and therefore the situations that I face are with this, with this perception, God lives in me. God lives in me. They say that John G. Lake, if you know who, if you've ever heard of John G. Lake, he was a great apostle of God in the early 1900s. He, uh, he uh, got, got saved and, 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 and got filled with the Holy Ghost at the Azusa Street Revival. And he went to South Africa as a missionary. And uh, it's when the, uh, well, there was a great plague going on uh, in South Africa. And uh, people were dying. It was like the bubonic plague. People were dying. There was a, when they would die, there would be a, a froth that would come out of their mouth. And it was a, a horrible uh, plague that was going on. We thought COVID was bad. This is a million times worse than COVID. And, uh, and people were dying left and right there in South Africa. And uh, Lake was down there ministering and, and laying hands on people. And people were getting healed. And the doctor said, we don't understand this. You don't have all the... You're not, you don't have all the protection on that, that, that we're wearing, and yet you're fine. You don't seem, you've not fallen prey to this, and you're laying your hands on these people. How do you do that? He said, well, he said, let's conduct a scientific. He said, I believe in science. Let's conduct a scientific experiment. I'm not telling you uh, to try this at home. I'm telling you what Lake did. But anyway, uh, he said, take some of, the, take, take some of that uh, uh, foam that comes out of the people's mouths as they die, with this disease, put it under the microscope and you'll see that it's teeming with these germs, with the, this disease. And he said, now, take some of that, put it on my hand. And, uh, and so they did and then they put it under the microscope and all that stuff was dead. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Lake was very conscious of the fact that God lived in him. In fact, they said, it's what I wanted to get to, that when he would get up in the morning and get dressed, he would look in the mirror and say, God lives in that man in that suit of clothes right there. It would do us well to look in the mirror every morning and instead of saying, oh God. 
Say, God lives in you, my beloved. Amen. Amen. He does. God inside minded. Be mindful of that. Remember that. Be aware of that. When, when, when things are going wrong in your day, don't collapse and say, oh God, where are you? Well, he's right inside you. He's right inside. He's not left you. He's inside you. He's just, wait, he's just waiting on us to let him out. Hallelujah. Colossians 1.27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what is that mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. What is that? Identification. Hallelujah. And we, need, we, can, we can have the same testimony. It's not because he was a, an apostle. It's not because of the Damascus Road experience that he can say this. It's because he is a new covenant believer. And you and I can say the same. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live... In the flesh, I live by faith. By the, of the, I live by faith in the Son of God. I love this part. Who loved me and gave Himself for me. I have a Savior who loves me. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. He loved you, and He gave Himself for you, and now He lives on the inside of you. Christ, through the Holy Spirit, lives in me. Hallelujah. And when did He give Himself for me? When I was at my worst. He didn't say, oh, boy, they're really looking good now. They've really done well. They're, they're dotting all their I's. They're crossing all their T's. They've got everything in order. I think I'll come and live in them. No. When I was at my worst and I called on him, Jesus, save me. Jesus, come into my life. He said, okay, I will. I will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. First John 4, 4. You knew we had to get to this one. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is where? In you is greater than he who is in the world. Hallelujah. Let's break this down. You, he, he starts out and he says this, you are of God. You are of God. What does that mean? It means I belong to God. It means I'm born of God. I have His nature. I have His nature inside of me. It means I've been sent by God. I'm His representative. I'm, his, I'm authorized to represent Him in this world. I am of God. You are... And it doesn't say that. Okay, you know, that's because you're a preacher. You can No. Every, every child of God, you're of God. Little children, every believer, you are of God. And as a result, and, it, and he said, and have overcome them. And have overcome them. Well, again, who's he, what's he talking about? Who's them that he's referring to? Well, if you go back and read the previous verses in this chapter, 1 John 4, you find out he's talking about deceiving spirits. You find out he's talking about false prophets. And you find out he's talking about even the spirit of Antichrist. He said the spirit of Antichrist is at work. 
spirit of Antichrist, you've heard it's coming. Spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. And boy, it is today, isn't it? I mean, we, we know we're, we're down to the end. We're down the last days and there's just a, there's a pressure. There's a tension going on. That spirit of Antichrist is just trying to break out and, and fully manifest in the earth today. We're the only thing restraining. The church, the believing church, the, those who know their authority in Christ, we're the only ones restraining the spirit of Antichrist. But we're of God. And we have overcome them. Deceiving spirits, false prophets, and the spirit of Antichrist. Oh, the spirit of Antichrist is going to take over. What are we going to do, Pastor? No, we are of God and we have overcome them. As long as I'm here, the Antichrist is not going to take over. As long as you're here, exercising your authority, knowing that God is in you, the Antichrist is not going to take over. Now, he's going, to, he's going to push it and he's going to try, but we have to say, no, you don't. It's not your time. Sit down and shut up. Come on, instead of, oh, oh, did you see what's happened? Did you read the news? Did you hear that? Did you see that? Uh, I read that. No. Let's focus on what God's doing. Let's focus on who we are. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. You're of God and have overcome them. How have we overcome them? Well, right here. Because he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. Now, I want you to notice the he that's in you. That's capital. That's capital he. That's capital he. Capital he's in us. That's talking about God. You capitalize the pronouns of God in the Bible. Amen. He who's in you, that's capital he is in you, is greater than little he is in the world. We got capital he on the inside of us, folks. We got God on the inside of us. And he's greater. Capital he is bigger than little he. Amen. Hallelujah. So where's God? God, where are you? I'm right here. I'm in you. I'm in you. So where's God? He's in me. He's in me. And then finally this, and Clint, come on back up if you would. Finally this one. God is upon you. God is upon you. God is for you. God is with you. God is in you. And God is upon you. Where's God? He's upon me. He's for me. He's with me. He's in me. And yes, He's upon me. Now, there's so many of the, this, this just gets better and better. We can't even cover it all today. We'll stop with this one. We got four more for next time. Can you believe that? God is upon you. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Say, so, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. Well, I know it is. But it's the book of Isaiah. And you know, the book of Isaiah is actually a mini Bible. How many, does anybody know how many books are in the Bible? 66. How many books in the Old Testament? 39. How many books in the New Testament? 27. All right. If you look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, is, I know, and I know that translators divide it in chapter and verse. I understand that. 
But God was, even had his hand in that, I believe. Uh, you look at the book of Isaiah, it's 66 chapters. And, uh, and the first 39 are dealing primarily with, with Israel, the kingdom of Israel and Judah and their sin and their repentance and their backsliding and all of that up, to, up through verse, uh, chapter 39. And you get to chapter 40 and chapter 40 begins the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist, the beginning of the New Testament. So chapters 40 through the rest of the book are really prophetic of the New Testament church. Yes, there are things here that are for Israel to be fulfilled in the last days, but this is, this is for us. This is what point I'm making. Isaiah 60 was written for the new covenant believer. Arise, shine. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen where? Upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. That's where we're at right now. The darkness, spiritual darkness, deception. The darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness, the peoples. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Hallelujah. Where's God? (laughs) He's upon us. He's upon us. Hallelujah. In the New Testament... We read this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And they said, okay, Lord, this is it now. Now you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel, right? He says, well, wait a minute, boys. There's some things we got to do first. He says in, he tells them in verse 8, but you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come where? Upon you. He breathed, he'd already breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. And they got born again. When he breathed them, God came in them. The Holy Spirit came in them. But he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Just like Jesus did. Jesus operated as a man, anointed by, dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's why when he came into the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, after he had been uh, through that temptation period in the wilderness... And resisted the devil. He comes into the synagogue and he finds Isaiah 61 and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Hallelujah. And Jesus said, You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Hallelujah. Acts 19, verse 6. That, so they did. They, got, they received, didn't they? In the, in, in, the, in, the, in the upper room, before we get to Acts 19. In the upper room. So he gives them that promise. And they're in the upper room. And the Bible says that, that when the day of Pentecost came, they were, there they were in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Filled the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues like as a fire. And sat Where? Upon each of them. Amen. And so they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues. And then they began to, they began to live in the power of that experience. They began to minister to that. Every, everywhere they went and preached, they made sure that those new believers got filled with the Holy Spirit, received the baptism in the Holy Spirit because they wanted not only God to be in them, but upon them. And Acts 19, Paul encounters these uh, folks in Ephesus. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, the Holy what? 
They'd not heard there was a Holy Spirit. Paul explains to them about Jesus. They get, uh, they get saved in verse, uh, they get baptized in water. And verse 6 says, And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Where is God? He's upon me. He's upon me. Hallelujah. Where is He? Well, He's for me. He's on my side. That's where He is. He's with me. He's in me. And He's upon me. Hallelujah. And there's a particular circumstance that we may face that will cause the reality of God upon us to be in greater manifestation. 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Let me, let me just stop and explain something right here on this. Peter talks about it in, in chapter 2 as well. <clears throat> Jesus suffered two ways for us. Jesus suffered as our substitute. He bore our sins. He bore the stripes so that we could be healed. And what Jesus suffered as my substitute, I need not suffer with. But then Jesus also suffered as my example. The Bible says he committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. But instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And here, that's what he's talking about when he said, to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, what he suffered for us as an example. And and it's clear as we read the rest of this passage here, that he says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now, verse 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests where? Upon you. Upon you. So when we're persecuted for our faith, when we're persecuted for our stand for the word of God, which you see it, you see it more and more right here in our nation today. That over the last 20 years, we've seen that increase. We've seen people standing for Christ and, and, and being fired from their jobs, being you know, having all manner of, 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 of opposition and persecution, being facing lawsuits, all these things, just simply for believing the Bible. But they're labeled haters. They're labeled bigots. You know, they're, they're, they, they need to be censored. They need to be silenced. That's what we see going on in our culture. But when we... And, and so... It, Unfortunately, we've seen a lot of a lot of folks, a lot of Christians say, "Well, well, we're just not going to we're just going to tone it down. We're just not going to get controversial here. We want to be relevant, and I believe in being relevant, being relatable to people. But I think sometimes we can use the excuse of wanting to be relevant just because we're saying, ah, "I really don't want to face any persecution. I don't want to really face any." 
And, and, and God gives us wisdom to know how and where to stand. But, but when, we're, when we're reproached, when we're mocked for holding fast to the truth of God, even if we're called bigots, even if we're called haters, then the Bible says, the Word says here, that when we do that, when we stand for the truth, that the Spirit of glory and of God will rest upon us. There's a manifestation of God upon you that, that, that you that you touch and that you get a hold of when you stand for the truth in the midst of opposition, in the midst of reproach, in the midst of mocking and ridicule. And God knows our society, our culture needs. And thank God. Thank God for the ones who are brave enough, have been brave enough to stand. And thank God for the victories as they persevered. Amen. Hallelujah. Court victories and, and, and other things as they've stood their ground and been willing to be face persecution for the gospel. Amen. Thank God for it. Hallelujah. So where is God? He's on our side. He's with us. He's in us. And He's upon us. And as I said, there's four more that we'll get to next week. And I, and I had this thought, even, even actually before I had uh, the inspiration for this message... It was starting to come to me, but I just had this thought, and I, I really want you to hear this. You know, even, even when we're not aware, even when those thoughts are filling our mind, where is God? And even when we are in a place where we, we can't feel His presence, it doesn't look like anything is happening, it doesn't, and, and, we, and we begin to even doubt ourselves. Where is God has God left me? Why does he seem so distant? And, and, or, or, or when I can't shake feelings of guilt and condemnation and it feels like God's so far away, none of this, none of this changes the reality. None of it changes the reality that God's still for me. He's still for me. Even when I don't see it. Even when I don't acknowledge it. Oh, what a faithful God. He's still for me. He's still on my side. Even when I, even when I get discouraged and, and, and I'm not recognizing and acknowledging that He's with me. He's still with me. He's still with me. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Hallelujah. Even when I feel weak and powerless, He's still in me. Hallelujah. And He's still upon me. Nothing changes it because He's God and He's promised, I'm going to be for you, by your side. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be in you. And I'm going to be upon you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He will never abandon us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Glory to God. Stand up with me. Hallelujah. Let's make some declarations of faith this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Say it out loud. Say it boldly. God is for me. God is on my side. God wants me to win. God is for me. God is with me. He will never leave me. He will never abandon me. He will never forsake me. God is with me. God is in me. 
Greater is he. Capital he. Big he. Lives in me. Greater is he. Who is in me. Than he that is in the world. I am of God. And I've overcome them. I've overcome every work of the enemy. Because God lives in me. He's in me. And he is upon me. The Lord is upon me. I've received power. The Holy Spirit has come upon me. And he lives upon me. To anoint me. And to empower me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Raise your hands and praise him for just a moment. 